Hello, and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, the notebook edition. Congratulations, you have survived the red wave, and you've made it to the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the red wave. Uh Okay. Sorry. LOL. Uh So joining me, uh, I'm Phil Harvey, (laughs) uh, a probably former editor at Light Reading. (laughs) Uh, And joining me is... Uh, Nicole, no affiliation Ferraro, trying to keep my job. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'll end that on, so I'm Mike Dano, I'm the editor here in Colorado, where magic mushrooms are now legal. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm pretty excited. Uh, You're welcome uh, for yeah. fraudulently voting in Colorado. Yes, 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 yes. I voted no early and often, so I, I think I was, was mainly due to me, I think. I'm just not picturing a, a brag. A bunch of people who voted and then they got back home and went, did we vote, man? Oh, we got to vote. And they went and voted again. And it just kept happening and happening and happening. And that's how Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to get back back to this because there are a few interesting things about what you guys approved and, and what you didn't. But don't let me yeah. derail things already. Let me turn it back to you, Phil, our former editor. Oh, well, you know, I, I mean, I'm hanging in there. We'll, we'll just see. They, they haven't canceled the podcast while I'm doing it. So. Right. True. <laughs> just let you finish. That would be a whole new level of interference. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah, let's talk about uh, what's what's fallen out of our notebooks during the week and maybe just some silly things we wanted to talk about anyway. Um, Let's see. Uh, Nicole, we could start with you since uh, we have related things. As everyone says, get Nicole out of the way. I agree. Let's start (laughs) there. Um, So uh, on the subject of the ballot proposals, that's what I spoke about last week. Uh, So I did want to just bring that back up again and uh, close the loop on how that all turned out. Um, So I mentioned last week that uh, Alabama and New Mexico were basically uh, voting on um, amendments to their constitution that would allow their states to use their ARPA and BEAD funding appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, Those measures passed uh, in Alabama with 98% reporting as of Thursday. They've got almost 80% of the vote. Uh, New Mexico, they've got 98% reporting with 65% voting for, interesting. Um, And in Colorado, there were two counties that were voting Voting, um, on ballot measures that would have uh, opted them out of a 2005 law restricting municipal broadband. Uh, those ballot measures passed in both counties, um, including Jeff's County of uh, Douglas County, right? Um, and he's suspiciously not here this week. That's so right. we can yeah. start a conspiracy right. theory that those two things are linked. Um, right. But Relatedly, Colorado, like we just said, passed the the magic mushrooms. Um, could be another uh, reason. <laughs> amendment that could also be why. But you also voted. Uh, you guys voted against stuff related to alcohol uh, delivery and and wine. So very interesting state. Got to come check it out sometime. I know you, you can't you can't win them all. Can't uh, very, out if you want to get your buzz on, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean. I would say it's progressive position to be pro mushrooms and anti-alcohol at this point. But yeah. let me not, again, get too far off subject. Back to broadband. The other thing I wanted to bring up today, um, as we're speaking Thursday, November 10th, the FCC and the NTIA have finally um 
put out some uh, a timeline for both the first release, the public release of the FCC broadband map that has been much awaited, and the distribution of bead funding, which is going to be dependent on the outcome of that FCC map. So the FCC is going to release the national broadband map on November 18th. Uh, that is next week. That'll be a first draft. And then between November 18th and January 13th, 2023, um, that's an opportunity for eligible entities to submit more challenges. There, there's been a challenge process going on with ISPs and local governments um, since yeah. September 12th, but this will be a challenge process that's open to more of the public. Um, and then uh, the NTAIA plans to announce bead allocations using the most up-to-date version of that map by June 30th, 2023. Um, so we are almost a year out from the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act uh, being signed by President Biden. That happened, like I think, late November of 21. Um, so it'll be about a year and a half before bead funding um, gets distributed for infrastructure. I should say that they've already started to distribute bead funding to some states for planning purposes. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was written into the infrastructure law that... Uh, they needed to use these FCC maps. So I uh, can't really blame the NTIA for the long timeline. Um, but in the meantime, they're also going to be distributing middle mile funding. So um, it, I, I think it's there will probably be debate about the timeline here and whether it's taking too long. But uh, under the, the stipulations, the way they're written, I don't see how this could have happened any faster. But it's good to have a, a roadmap ahead, at least at this point. Um, Nicole, yeah. are you expecting uh, more delays, or, or is this does does that timeline represent a delay from from initial expectations? And then, are you expecting like uh, any court challenges or anything? Any like is this is this going to take longer than than that timeline too? Well, I think everything always takes longer than any government timeline indicates. Um, but I think that they've been pretty transparent with this process. I in terms of challenges that could still arise, it's going to come from um, once the the map gets released on November 18th, I think you're going to have a lot of people just like angry and in an uproar about what they're saying is wrong with it. Um, but that is going to be continued to, that's going to continue to be updated. Um, there's a process in place, I think, for that map to be updated every six months. Um, the other challenges, so the place where challenges might really come in is, I have to take a step back because this is all fairly complicated and written yeah, into several it. different yeah. laws. So glad we're going to cover this. We're, so we're never going to run out of internet. So just going. That's cool. The, the further complications are going to be between the, the industry groups that are vying for those dollars. So once the FCC map is, you know, quote unquote finalized, which will be never, but a version that the NTIA is comfortable enough saying states, you're allowed to go write your, your broadband programs. Um, there will be a an acceleration of the industry groups representing fiber and the industry groups representing wireless going to the states and saying, here's why you should be writing your plans to make room for this technology. Um, that may or may not delay the process. Delays will probably come up if their states allow for challenges to their grants because then um, equipped ISPs will step in and say this 
ISP or entity shouldn't get a grant because we cover this area, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's delays baked into all of these processes. Um, but as far as the timeline with the NTIA distributing bead funding for infrastructure starting June 23, I don't think that is I don't think that's really a delay in terms of what was to be expected based on how these programs were written and based on the fact that the FCC had to create this brand new map um, in order for any of this to get started. Um, so, yeah. And I think the big picture too, especially as we've seen with your reporting is the, the, now we actually have, it's starting to take shape. Now we have at least some milestones to look for at least some, some way to conceptualize how, how long this is going to take. And then we can kind of, you know, adjust our expectations accordingly. Um, on the state level, uh, 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 ballot initiatives and the, the the sorts of things that happened there was the kind of the big headline there was that for the most part, uh, broadband is good, right? Everybody still everybody still wants broadband. Good? Yeah, people definitely still want broadband. It's still one of those rare issues that gets like weird bipartisan support. Um, if there's disagreement, I would say amongst the parties, it's about who's lobbying who and who understands what technology. Um, but uh, otherwise, universal broadband is seen as a as a good thing. The issue with the states had much more to do with, well, in Alabama and New Mexico specifically, had to do with weird writing in their uh, state constitutions that disallowed municipalities uh, and local governments from spending, giving money to private companies and private entities for infrastructure. Um, I think I was saying last week that uh, programs like ARDOF give go straight from the federal government to ISPs. So I think those probably circumvented some of those uh, weird state laws. Uh, Whereas in Colorado, ISPs had gotten behind a state law in 2005 to ban municipal uh, broadband, basically. And there's been an effort since then to opt out of that law on the county level. And so these two counties yesterday joined like 100 plus others that have opted out of that law since 2005. So people generally want broadband the yeah. incumbent companies that have provided broadband uh, don't want more competition. <laughs> and that's what, that's what slows things down. Because whether that's, sorry, whether that's happening in a challenge process or whether that's happening in the way that these laws are written and the ways that the provisions are written for these laws, those are all coming from recommendations from the industry <laughs> lobbyists. And it, it's not like you have a bunch of like former, uh, you know, uh, electric co-op representatives and ISPs working for Congress, these people don't understand what they're talking about. So they get input from these groups. Then some of them want to slow down the process because they don't want more competition. So um, it's yeah, complicated. It's a, well, it's, it's super complicated. It's also uh, more frustrating because, you know, we're talking about you know, 50 different, uh, you know, versions of the truth because no, no, no broadband uh, rollout plan, you know, in any given state is just top down, you know, here's the federal money, go, go roll it out. It's like, no, it's like you said, that there's all these uh, municipalities and state level laws that people have to kind of uh, comply with or decide they need to change, you know, in, in, in several cases in order to uh, equip their state and their, the companies in that state to actually provide broadband. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad some of this stuff is at least getting the light of know, seeing the light of day, because I, I don't think there's anyone 
across the board who opposes, you know, rolling out more broadband to more people. Um, but, but yeah, the telcos hate competition. Uh, cable companies hate competition. And so they, they've just naturally grown up in an environment where as soon as there's a challenger to their, uh, you know, uh, territory, they take them down. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think the, uh, I don't think that's where the future of this country is sort of pointing toward. I think, I, I think you know, getting everyone as connected as we possibly can, and then fighting it out through, you know, the old-fashioned way, uh, you know, lowering prices, providing better service, uh, that sort of thing would be nice. Yeah, we uh, shall see. Yeah, well, hard. thanks for the update on that, uh, Mike. Uh, you've been staring at the sky a lot lately. Did you? Oh, see? Oh yeah, no. Yeah, st- stuff is uh, things that are falling out of my notebook are satellites and ground receivers and wow, um, yeah, band fifty three capable chipsets, all all the interesting things. I know. Sounds loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exciting, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this uh, you know this this whole this like sort of new wave of satellite stuff is just I think it's fascinating. It's like one of my favorite things to cover because you know, broadly, it means that satellites are going to become, I think eventually the goal is to have satellites become a integrated part of the broadband network topology just for everybody. So, you know, just like Wi-Fi plays a role and cellular plays a role and fiber plays a role, satellite would play a role as well. And you would kind of hardly even notice it in the future. And so right now we're seeing sort of the market shake out um, toward that direction. And there's satellite companies that are doing very poorly. There's some that are doing pretty well. Um, but it's like, it's sort of this, a lot of like market chaos going on right now. And, uh, so a couple of the new things that we've seen recently. So, uh, just recently, uh, Apple announced its total investment into, um, phone to satellite connections. It said it spent, um, $450 million getting this up and running mainly with uh, global star. That's its main partner that, that operates about two dozen satellites. Mm-hmm. And that's, those are the satellites that support the new, um, SOS feature in the iPhone 14. Um, but that's just one of many things that are going on right now in terms of overall satellite stuff. I mean, um, uh, and there's all kinds of things going on. So, for example, uh, SpaceX, the the Starlink service from SpaceX, they they recently capped uh, usage at one terabyte a month, and that is a very clear signal that their network is getting congested. They're racing to launch more uh, low Earth orbit satellites to support that service. So that that's kind of happening, you know. In in in, in and then sort of a little bit longer term. There's a, a large and, and really a, a growing number of companies that are talking about um, how they too are going to play in this whole area of internet connectivity, IoT services, and especially the phone to satellite stuff. So um, just in the past few weeks, we've seen um, companies like EchoStar and uh, Viasat and Iridium. And, you know, the sort of the list goes on about uh, these these established big satellite companies that are saying, yes, we, too, are going to play in the phone to satellite market at some point in the future. And the, I think the real key here is the uh, the uh, the 3GPP is release 17. So the 3GPP is the is the standards organization behind 5G. And they recently released a new batch of standards and those batch of standards include satellites. 
So now that that standard is out there, it's like now satellite companies like, you know, EchoStar and others can start sort of building toward that standard and, and handset makers can start building toward that standard. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, I was telling somebody that, you know, I, I would expect in the next one to two years that a large number of new and existing phones are going to be able to talk to satellites somehow you know, and, and do something. Maybe it's just text messaging. Right. Maybe it's checking email. It's not going to be watching video, but like, right. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And, and Phil, you even, I mean, you were, you, 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 you were uh, part of this whole uh, thing just recently. You were, you were yeah. at the FCC's big announcement about this area. Yeah, they were. Uh, so they announced in uh, uh, last week that they had formed a space bureau. So they took their international bureau, carved it up and kind of stood the international piece, uh, sort of independent or, you know, by, as a, as like a standalone unit. And then they launched, uh, the space bureau. And the reason being was, uh, they need, you know, more staff, uh, more, uh, people researching satellite launches and, and spectrum and all of the things that, that are required to get satellite service up and running. Um, Jessica Rosenworcel, the uh, chair, uh, chairwoman of the FCC said that, uh, there was a, um, 64,000 uh, satellite application, satellite launch applications had been filed with the agency in the last two years. And it doesn't matter, uh, you know, how, you know, how efficient the agency, you know, your perception of the agency is now. I mean, obviously it's not uh, too efficient in that domain, but they just weren't ready for that kind of influx of, uh, uh, of interest in, in that thing. And, you know, and they have to decide, okay, do we have the spectrum to accommodate this launch? Where's it, where is it going? Uh, you know, just should we allow it? Is it beneficial for, you know, consumers, businesses, humanity in general, that sort of thing. And then how is it going to happen? So they have to, you know, kind of be comfortable with the answers to all of those questions and 64,000 times. <laughs> and, um, and that's just, you know, this past couple of years. So in the last 12 months, uh, about $10 billion of private equity and private capital have been invested in the satellite industry and the space industry broadly, uh, uh, you know, just in the last 12 months. So there's a huge amount of, uh, and, and that covers everything from uh, satellite broadband to space tourism. So there's a pretty wide range of services that people are hoping to offer in space. But that whole thing I uh, attended was about the commercialization of space, about the FCC's role in that, and how they're trying to, you know, although they still have to be uh, a gatekeeper, they can also be an enabler to commerce. So um, what they're hoping this new agency will help with uh, as it gets staffed and, and kind of up and running is that they will be able to be the uh, first call for startups and other companies that are looking to do things in space, provide services via satellite. How do we do that? And, you know, what, what regulatory uh, uh, hurdles do we have to clear? Hopefully they can go to this agency first, get those answers, get some guidance, get pointed to the right direction within the industry, and then, uh, you know, get closer to commercializing whatever service. So they're they're trying to just speed the whole thing up and the Satellite Industry Association which is the trade group that you know talks to all the the big satellite companies that are very very keen on uh you know connecting directly to consumer phones and 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 IoT devices and all that sort of thing are um you know they were uh 
hosting this press event and, and the thing. So they had speakers and and sort of you know opinion makers that were present, and they're all on board with uh, the FCC being kind of a cool uh, entry point uh, for uh, you know companies looking for more commercial opportunities in space. So that's a big, big answer for what you yeah. uh, ask, but there you go. I mean, it's huge. And and here's here's what I think is really crazy is that, so, you know, we're just talking about phones to satellites and now you're talking about a whole new approach to the U.S. use yeah. of satellites in space. And then if you go another layer up, like there's a huge amount of conversations going on right now about the geopolitical global use of space because... There's a lot of discussion about whether Russia can view SpaceX satellites, the Starlink satellites, as an essentially as an enemy combatant because you know Ukrainians are using those Starlink services for like core military communications, yeah. and then you know in China they uh, they're building their own space station. They've they've got this like I just read about it. They had this like mysterious. Um, uh, uh, aircraft that has space capabilities that they're testing and no one's really quite sure what, you know, what, to what purpose and when, what exactly they're testing. And so like, and, and every, you know, every company or every country that has, you know, a space program is going to be making its own decisions about what it's going to be doing in space. And so, and yeah, I mean, it's just the layers of complexity and, 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 uh, you know, ramifications are it just, you know, it just goes on and on. Yeah, and, and back to pick up on the point about Russia too. I mean, the the, the uh, this is going to be you know part part of the wisdom of sort of making a space bureau and then sort of uh, adding more capability to the international bureau is they are also going to be addressing some of those uh, jurisdiction uh, you know questions and things like that because you know Russia has said uh, uh, like you were saying any uh, any commercial effort. That is perceived as, as, you know, even if it's commercial equipment, if they feel like the Ukrainians are using it to further their uh, their efforts in defending themselves, they will consider that a target of war and will take it out. Now that, you know, has very much gotten the attention of Viasat and other companies who have ground uh, stations and uh, relay locations, you know, all over Europe, yeah. um, because those are subject to not just you know, uh, being destroyed physically, like what's happening in Ukraine, but they're also su subject to cyber attacks in a, you know, in a much more concentrated way than they have been before. Once they're declared, you know, as targets of, of the Russian state, uh, then it, it, it becomes a whole new game. And I was uh, part of the, uh, during the same trip, I was at the, uh, sat cyber sat gov conference where they were, uh, you know, a lot of the folks in the satellite industry and the defense department were talking, uh, you know, openly, about uh, you know their concerns that that the security uh, posture of a lot of uh, these you know uh, countries has changed since the last year. You know, last year they were worried more about uh, you know what's China doing and how fast or you know how is this uh, economic sanctions really going to work out. Well, now they're just they're completely like, oh, are, are they going to blow up our ground stations or not? You know, <laughs> that's a, that's a completely um, different set of security concerns and they've had to completely, uh, you know, pivot, you know, where their attention is. So yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I bring all this up too, because it's, it's, you know, this, this all affects, you know, the communications industry broadly as well. You know, this is going to take out broadband, uh, you know, broadband is going to be the lifeblood in some parts of, 
uh, you know, especially in times of conflict. And this is going to be, you know, satellite is going to be one of the only ways that people are able to communicate uh, when, when uh, ground infrastructure has been uh, blown up or taken over. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a much bigger deal. And I think there's a, there's a lot riding on it for sure. Um, anyway, uh, that was, uh, boy, some light notes to go out on the weekend. There. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited for the future. Yeah, I know. It's going to be great. Um, I think you, I, and don't you have some good news to talk about, Phil? Uh, well, I was going to talk about layoffs, but let's, let's uh, <laughs> yeah, end, our, end our week with a real good high note. To <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, uh, Is this the moment Mike and I find out? Uh, no. <laughs> no. So yeah. awkward. Uh, that we would do a, a, a ratings grab for that. Um, there, there's much <laughs> was, more marketing in advance. Um, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, come see Mike, get the ax. <laughs> no, um, the uh, thing I was going to bring out was, you know, in the tech industry and, and in a lot of industries now in the economy, um, you know, layoffs are happening all over the place. Companies are contracting, they're sort of pulling back and deciding, uh, you know, really thinking ahead to next year and what they want to prioritize. Um, I just had a really interesting sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of set of thoughts about uh, the direction that Facebook and Twitter are both going, uh, because they're both companies that are laying off a huge number of people this week for different reasons. You know, for Twitter, um, it's all about, uh, you know, Elon Musk wanting to wring more money out of the company because he had to buy it at an inflated price because he opened his big stupid mouth and agreed to do that. And then he was suddenly legally bound to do that. Way to go, dude. And now he's trying to, you know, now he's upending people's lives just to um, get enough money out of it so that he hasn't made a, a horrible uh, financial decision. Um, that's not really a strategy, but that is a direction as I, as I promised. Um, Facebook, on the other hand, is actually kind of in a, in a process of trying to figure out who it is. And, you know, they are building something. Now, whatever you think about the metaverse, they are definitely, um, there's definitely a vision of they want to create a tech platform that they own entirely and they are not subject to being uh, uh, told what they can and can't do on that platform. Um, that's what I think Mark Zuckerberg's ambition is. And that's what uh, uh, the metaverse is ultimately all about. Whatever, whatever uh, you know, icing they put on that cake, <laughs> yeah. it's it's still a, ultimately about Zuckerberg wants a platform that Apple can't tell him what to do on. Right. And that's kind of what the you know the iPhone uh, you know shuts down Facebook. Uh, you know, kind of makes Facebook play by the rules as, as far as advertising goes. And of course, Apple is competing with Facebook on on a number of fronts and that sort of thing. And and so whatever they're doing there, they're, they're also taking short-term, uh, you know, cost savings in the business by laying people off so that they can afford this longer-term vision of building this thing that who knows if people really want it, but it's something that Facebook itself wants or yeah. Zuckerberg wants. Um, so way, way different directions though. It's just, it's so, it's so amazing how the, the companies are kind of lumped in together in, in a lot of news stories, but they could not be operating in a more different, uh, uh, point of departure, I guess. Yeah, I agree. It's a completely different set of circumstances. Uh, they're, they tend to get talked about together, but at this point they're facing different problems and the Elon Musk problem is its own, <laughs> its own special thing. <laughs> 
speaking of nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a very, you know, that, that in itself is going to be a very strange thing. And I also think I'm, I'm getting exhausted and I, I if any reporters listen to this, God forbid, um, uh, it would be really cool if you guys just wouldn't take the bait so many times yeah. when, when he said, when he proclaims something and then that's a story and then it becomes a news cycle. And then two days later he says the opposite and that becomes a news cycle. Didn't we already have some of that for like yeah. four years? Don't yeah, you kind exactly. Of know the pattern there. <laughs> well, it feels like that all over again with just a a different yet similar man. Um, yeah, and I just feel like at some point, don't you like when a liar says something? Don't you just go that guy's probably lying, and then let's see yeah. how it goes. And, and like, well, this is the whole what he does and not what he says. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, exactly. But this is the whole problem with Twitter and Facebook anyway. It's yeah. like it's outrage uh, right. and, you know, attention grabbing stuff that then feeds the headline that then feeds the tweets. Right. It's an endless cycle of yeah. engagement grabbing stuff that people cannot resist um, doing right. follow me, further follow me spreading of. Yeah. Even when it's misinformation, everyone needs to learn. You don't True. fight misinformation by retweeting misinformation with a snarky additional comment you are spreading misinformation and uh elon musk would love for you to continue doing that because it's going to make him money so eventually if if uh, eventually it will if he if he uh sells yeah right whatever dumb idea he's come up with uh yeah exactly yeah Um, anyway okay we'll leave it there unless you guys do you guys have anything else you want to uh any parting shots before the weekend or anything like that you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Not, D Dano. I think I think we lost Mike D Dano at tw- on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, don't bother following me on Twitter. I've uh, you know t- time's a wasting. I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm at Future Phil, but you know who knows? I might not Sp- be. Um, unfollow me. Yeah, <laughs> only unfollow. <laughs> All right, uh, good. Well, everybody, thank you so much for uh, watching. Thank you for listening, and have a great weekend. Shut down.